Thank you for joining us today for the Oakwood Baptist Church podcast. This episode was recorded at the Home Builder Sunday School class, which Pastor Jones teaches at Oakwood. The lessons are taken from the book, The Ministry of Marriage by Jim Benny. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, um, I'm going to speak on a subject today that's not always the, the funnest to talk about, uh, but... Um, needs to be talked about. And so I, I want to speak, really, I'm going to speak a lesson on uh, the biblical principles of sex. Uh, so we've, we've been going through our Ministry of Marriage series. We've got this lesson. I've got one final lesson next week, and then we'll move on to some new territory. I think we're going to look at a, a biblical study of friendship um, because I just, I, I think it is going to be an interesting subject on uh, what are good friends, what do friends look like, and uh, how can I be a friend, and, and all of that biblically. And I've said this before, that if we, if we can study what the Bible says about friendship, it will help our marriage. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but today, uh, again, t- talk about this subject that's, eh, you know, if, if it's uncomfortable to, to listen to, it's certainly more uncomfortable to talk about. So I can assure you that. Uh, but let's look at what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It says, Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Okay, so let's just start expositing here. Um, that expression, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Obviously, the context demands that that's in a sensual way. All right, so when you, we're shaking hands or you're playing volleyball and you give somebody a high five, obviously we don't want to be stupid about what the Bible's saying here. It's just simply saying in a sensual way, uh, this, this, you need to be careful about that. It says, nevertheless, here's the context, to avoid fornication. Just so everybody knows, the word fornication is not a word that we throw around in our common language today, but it just means any sexual sin, any sexual sin. So this would be uh, promiscuity before marriage. This would include pornography, uh, uh, adultery. Any sexual sin would fall under that, that particular word. So it says to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Again, let's not misunderstand those verses right there. This is not saying that you can use and abuse somebody else. That's not, that's not what it's saying. I think the Bible is very intentional to, to say this both ways. I think the idea there is that the sexual, physical relationship of marriage is not for one's own pleasure. It's for the mutual benefit of each other. That, that's what the, the verse is teaching there, okay? So again, I don't want to get too far off track, but, and I'm not going to get you know, too uncomfortable here, but I just want to give you some biblical principles uh, that the Bible talks about the physical aspect of marriage. So uh, let's pray and we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, I pray that you just give us a great day today. I pray that as we uh, send out the old year and bring in the new year, what a fitting time it is to be in your house and to worship you and to learn of you and from you so that we can um, be grateful for the year you gave us, but strive to have a better year next year. And I just pray that you would, again, teach us principles and truths that will help us in our life. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is the book of Corinthians, and some of you know the context of the, of the book of Corinthians. The city of Corinth was a very metropolitan city. 
in the Roman Empire, and it was a very immoral city. Um, it was a very um, sexually perverse, so much so that the, the name of, of the city became synonymous with sin. Uh, for instance, to Corinthianize really became synonymous with the idea of fornicating. So it, it, it carried the idea of living a very sexually promiscuous life, uh, that word Corinthianize. So understand, this is the environment that Paul started his church in. I mean, that, that was, we we're studying life of Paul. That was the spirit of Paul. I mean, where is the gospel needed? I'm going to go there. And, you know, whereas some people would say, oh, man, I don't want to be there. Uh, that's the last place I want to go. Paul would say, that's the first place I want to go. He kind of was like William Booth. He said, you know, I want to basically serve, uh, start a rescue mission right on the precipice of hell. Uh, that's how Paul seemed to feel. Um, but you understand when he did that, he starts to minister to people who had been immersed in this carnal culture. And we have to recognize that today. Uh, that's where we are ministering. And our, our society is becoming increasingly immoral in this area. And I think we know that. I'm going to throw out some, some statistics. We all know about the divorce rates. And by the way, divorce rates don't seem to be very different among Christian people. It still seems to hover around 50%. Now, again, I would hope that our ministry would minister in such a way uh, that we establish things and, and emphasize things that prevent similar statistical rates, but by and large, that's what you're looking at. Uh, pornography is, is off the charts. Like, can I just say this as, as a pastor to people who are parenting children we cannot be naive about this idea. You, you, you can't just say, well, my, my kids are in a Christian school and we come to church three times a week and we, you know, do this and do that. Listen, you cannot be naive about this, this area. You can't. You can't afford to. It's too prevalent. It's too much of a problem. And you, you know, some of you, look, I'm 46, almost 47. It's a totally different ball game than when you were a kid, if you're my age. Totally different ball game. Uh, what you had to slink in the back alley to try and find is now worse in your kid's pocket. Okay, like I, I don't know how to stress it any, anymore, but the statistics are overwhelming, and they're not going anywhere anytime soon. Okay, seventy percent, seventy percent of Americans uh, live together before marriage, 70%. Um, the, the, talk about promiscuity in America, the average number, this is average, the average number of sexual partners for, for a female is seven. The average uh, sexual, amount of sexual partners for a male is eight. That's average. It, this is the culture and society in which we are ministering. All right, so, so I, I just am trying to, I'm trying to put some context to what Paul was saying. Paul wrote in a historical context. Remember, that's why we like to preach the way we preach here, expository. I know in Sunday school I'm a little more topical, but we preach expository message. And what are we trying to do? We're trying to take the historical and grammatical context in which the Bible was written and then try and apply it to our lives. You understand it that way, then you apply it to our lives. Paul was ministering in a very, very carnal culture, a church that had been inundated by sexual promiscuity and fornication. That's where he was ministering. And 
That's where we minister today too. I don't know if it's exactly the same, but, but I'm just telling you we have similar issues that we're dealing with. So, in Paul's context, in reaction to this, some felt that sexual abstinence produced a sexual superiority. Okay, They recognized that all of this was going on in their culture, and so now that they're saved and they recognize, hey, this isn't wrong, or this isn't right, they, they pulled themselves out of it and they, and they said, listen, we're not, going to, we're not going to touch any of that. We're going to totally be sexually abstinent. And they were feeling, you remember this is a common phrase that was in the book of Corinthians, puffed up. Right? They were feeling very, very proud of themselves, superior to everyone else. And this arose partly because there was a prevalent philosophy that taught the body was intrinsically evil. <coughs> so if you've ever been familiar with the, the philosophy of Gnosticism, if that's ever showed up in your Bible study, particularly the book of Colossians deals with Gnosticism, but he, Paul deals with it in several books because it was a prevailing philosophy of the day. And one of the tenets of Gnosticism, and there's still some ideas of Gnosticism that we experience today. And so if we were studying that, I would be able to show you that. <clears throat> but basically the idea there is that one thing is that physical life is bad. All right? Spiritual life is superior, physical life is bad. Now, now again, I think the Bible debunks that and that's not biblical teaching. Meaning this, I understand there are problems with our physical bodies, but they are a part of the redemption story. And as God created us physically, spiritually, and emotionally, we're a uh, trichotomous beings. So we don't reject all things physical. Remember, Jesus took on a physical body as well. And so, again, I don't want to get too, too far off of the beaten path here today because we've got things we need to talk about. So, we are having some of the same problems today. This is why I'm talking about this subject, even though I'd like to move on to something else. The culture is what is defining sex to us and what it should be. And we, we as God's people have got to uh, be better than that. We cannot allow the culture to define what sex is and what sex should be as believers. We've got to know the book, study the book, live by the book. Uh, that's, that's important. See, what, what's happened is uh, things like this, sex education. You don't hear this phrase too much anymore. When I was younger, you heard it a lot. Preachers would preach about it and things like that. And I went, to, I went to public school. I know many of you did. Not all of you did, but many of you did. I went to public school, so I sat through health class and sex education. I had to go through it in, uh, I, think, I think we, first time was like 8th grade, and then again it was like 10th grade. So that, that was what we were exposed to. Okay. Now, now this may shock you. Uh, I personally don't have a terrible problem with sex education, my problem is, is that the people were, that were teaching it to you were not teaching it from a moral framework. That, that to me, is the, the major problem of it. Now, I'm, I'm with most of you. Like, I don't necessarily need, because I care about parenting my children, I don't need some teacher who may or may not be biblical-centered, no, who knows what their moral framework is. I don't need them teaching my kids that because I'm involved in my kid's life. And we need to teach that. So, so, so I, I get it, but, but you understand what, what has happened in this world of sex education, if you will, is there is an unrestrained focus basically on the reproductive system 
and coming from a, a group of people who have a bankrupt view of morality. And what this ends up doing is it stirs the lusts of countless underdeveloped youth that results in, in an epidemic of perversion. And that, that's what we're seeing being played out today. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Again, I, I, I don't know that sex education in and of itself is wrong, but it's people, methods, and philosophies that are behind it are terribly wrong. And that's creating the problem. But then, now you add this, because this sex education in public school system and so forth, that's been around for a long time. But now we've thrown in the media outlets. And man, I'm telling you, this is very disturbing to me. Because too many of our young people are learning about sex from the internet. That's why I've said, you, the average age that a young man is exposed to pornography is 11. Hardcore pornography, 11. Okay, you, I did not want my kids learning about this subject from an older relative, Google, so, some kid on the playground. Listen, that, 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 I wanted them, as uncomfortable as it is for everybody, I wanted them to learn it from, from me and from the Bible. And, you know, when you throw the internet and pornography, um, man, kids are learning more from that than they are from the home and from the church. And what they are learning, we know, is atrocious. Come on, you, you guys have not lived with your heads buried in the sand. I mean, listen to some of the story hour books that they're trying to read to kids in some elementary schools. And, and it's horrible. Like, I think we've all seen some snippet of some outraged parent at some uh, city council meeting, and they're reading an excerpt from a, a book that is being read in the public school, and the, the people in the city council mute them because this is too offensive in our meeting, but yet, yet my eight-year-old can check it out of the library at school. Like, we've all seen this. We've all recognized that this, this is a problem. But this is the culture in which we live in. This is where, we're, where we are at. And so we must do something about it. And the biggest thing that we can do about it is to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're going to live by these principles and we are going to teach these principles. So understand that the Bible has a lot to say about this subject. Now please understand me when I say this. The Bible is never lewd and it is never inappropriate. Never. Okay? I think that that needs to be said because I think what happened is we, we sometimes use this word and I think it's, it's unfortunate that we use it this way. You ever say, oh, I, uh, you know, don't, don't be so puritanical. Like as if the Puritans were these horrible people. Like that's one of the reasons why I hate the scarlet letter. It's just, I know all these like English teachers love it and my wife loves it. I hate it. It's a stupid book. And I don't, Nathaniel Hawthorne had an axe to grind against preachers. I mean, I don't know what his problem was, you know. Uh, but anyway, uh, so, so the, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you know, it's just, you know, every, the, the preacher's being so prude and, and self-righteous and he's the one that had this affair with this woman. Uh, but anyway, so, so what was I saying? Oh, puritanical. You know, you know, we, we, we think the Puritans and the way they lived and this, you know, was so horrible and, and to be that way. But listen, the, what happened is because because there was an age where there was purity and propriety, this was never talked about. 
It was just kind of hush, hush. You don't deal with it. You don't talk about it. That's private. And, and you, it's just, you just don't talk about it. Now, now listen, I think everything in life is a balance. Listen, this, this subject, there is a propriety to it. There is a privacy to it. There is a form of purity to it. And so what has happened is, is in a reaction to the puritanical age where it was, shh, you don't talk about that. Then what has happened is because preachers are trying to minister in an age that's inundated by carnality and sexual promiscuity, now you've got some pastors in some circles that are like shock jocks about the subject and say and do things in public and from pulpits that really are over the top and shouldn't be handled that way. I'd like to achieve a balance in our ministry here. That sometimes we address these issues because they need to be addressed. But we handle them the way the Bible handles them. And that is with some propriety and some purity, but some specific tones. Okay, so again, we started a little later. And I've talked more in my introduction than I thought I would. But let me give you three principles to govern our sexuality. Number one, I'm going to try and move real fast because I've only got like ten minutes. There is virtue in sex. Okay, there is virtue in sex. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 4, marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. Again, because of carnal exposure to sexuality, it has been seen as something naughty. And that's something that I think the pulpits of America have, have failed in. I think because preachers have preached against sex before marriage, and it should be preached against. And because they've preached against adultery, and it should be preached against. And they've preached against pornography, and they've preached against bad movies and bad TV shows and bad music that emphasizes this stuff. I mean, come on. I don't care what genre of music you listen to or you struggled with. If it's a secular form, I don't care if it's country, pop, rap, rock, whatever your genre is. Sexual overtones are in it like crazy, okay? And, and again, I'm just saying because preachers have preached against that stuff, and rightfully so, generations of young people have grown up and thought that sexual things are bad. Everything about sex is bad, 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 because that's all you ever hear preachers talk about. But again, I want you to understand that sex should be seen as something good. Almost every book in the Bible discusses the subject to some degree. Think about this. In the first three chapters of Genesis, God called creation good, but he referred to the union of man and woman as very good. God saw one thing in creation is not good. It's not good that man should be alone, so I'm going to make a help meet for him. And he did, I always say this. He did not make a fishing buddy for Adam. He didn't. He made a woman to compliment him. I mean, he could have said, look at this, this dope. He has nobody to fish with. There's nobody to play golf with. He didn't do that. He made a woman. All right. The first mention of a truth in the Bible is always significant. The first and second mention of marriage in the Bible is in reference to the physical union of man and wife. Genesis 1.28 and Genesis 2.24. Apparently, God wants us to know that there is nothing shameful about this. If we will understand the virtue in this relationship, we will be able to overcome and deal with illicit lust. Okay, so that... Again, there's more I could say about that. I'm going to rush through. We, we have to have the proper view of it. Okay, number two. I think this is something you know as well. There's design in sex. 
1 Corinthians 6 and verse 13. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. So, what is the design and purpose for your body as far as this subject is concerned? All right, one is physical fruitfulness. Genesis 1.28 said, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. This is a natural design to have kids. Listen, I understand some people physically are unable. That's part of the curse of sin, that sometimes our, our bodies don't function as they should, as they were designed to. doesn't mean there's something wrong with you in, that, in, in a sense morally or anything like that. I'm just, that's just the reality of it. Um, listen, I'm getting older. I hurt my knees playing basketball the other day. I can't hardly walk down the stairs. Look, our bodies break down. We know that. So there's some things sometimes in our bodies that they're not right. But normally speaking, our bodies are designed to, to reproduce. And God wanted us to do that. I have a friend who, who, who thinks that if, if you are physically capable of it, you should have at least three children. Because it says that's replenishing the earth. If you only have two, you're just replacing yourself. You're not replenishing. Okay. I, listen, I can't really argue with that. I don't, I've never tried to tell somebody how many kids they're supposed to have. You know, I mean, for me, five is a full quiver. I'm just telling you. Right? Just, some of you are thinking like five, that's just plain stupid. I'm not doing that. You know, like I, I get it. So I, I've never tried to. I just think that's an interesting thought. Uh, the, the idea there that I'm trying to get is, is biblically speaking, if you're physically able to, um, God wanted you to have kids. Um, and we are living in a generation and in a culture that is like putting that off, doesn't want to do it. And I think a lot of it's driven by selfishness, whether they want more money or they want more time to do what they want to do. And I, th I think that that's really a violation of what God, God taught us in Scripture. I really do. Um, now, I'm not trying to get in your business and tell you what you need to do. Uh, I'm just simply saying that's a principle from the Bible. So physical fruitfulness was a part of it. Uh, here's the other thought, marital, marital fellowship and intimacy. Here's the second mention in the Bible, Genesis 2, 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave in his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. There's a certain connection that comes from that. And I think we, we all recognize that as married people. Uh, there is a giving of yourself to somebody else. There, there is a, a uniqueness and a closeness that is not shared with anyone else. And that is specifically designed that way by God to bring a connection and an intimacy between the two uh, of you as married people. Uh, then, of course, it's an object lesson between Christ and the church. Ephesians 5 talks about that. Unfortunately, I think man's design is often limited to pleasure alone. But let me, let me say this. Satisfaction is the result of submitting to God's design. Sin is the result of submitting to man's design. Go back to the garden. Say, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. God's got this all wrong. I know better. And they, they were not satisfied. You do things God's way, you find satisfaction. You do things man's way, you find sin. Um, so, again, I, I, I'm running out of time here, but if you, here, here's a couple of thoughts. If you're not married, which I know this context of this class doesn't demand that, but, but you're trying to teach your kids. If you're not married, you're forbidden by God to seek such pleasure until you are. It goes back to what we read. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. And, and, and that's why we need to be careful about these kind of things when we are married. Uh, recognizing this, but teach your kids that. Um, again, I've heard all kinds of different 
preachers talk about this kind of stuff. And I think sometimes people look at churches like ours and they think, man, you guys are crazy because we try to emphasize to our teenagers to be proper in the way you dress and the way you conduct yourself and the way you handle yourself. Listen, I think there's a lot of biblical basis behind it. It's not legalism. It's we're trying to, we're trying to practice the principles that God outlined in the Bible. You know, I mean, we, we just have to be careful about that. Um, anyway, there's more that I can say there, but I'm out of time. If you are married, you are to restrict your such pleasure to your own wife or your own husband, not to another wife, another's wife or another's husband. I mean, again, it's clearly spelled out in 1 Corinthians 7 too. Uh, and let me say this, and I'll move on. Many misuse that verse that we read about virtue. Hebrews 13, 4, marriage is honorable and all in the bed undefiled to say as long as you're married, anything goes. Don't, don't abuse the scripture there. I, I think what you practice in your privacy, that's between you and your spouse. That's true. That's honorable in all things. But to go outside the parameters of God's specific laws of morality, that's wrong. Again, let me, let me just get very plain here because I, I hope I'm not muddy in the waters on that. Listen, this idea that well, we want to introduce pornography into our relationship to enhance our pleasure. That's not going to enhance your pleasure. That's a violation of God's laws. That, well, marriage is honorable and all. No, not when you're breaking God's specific commands. Well, it would bring pleasure to us to introduce uh, other people into our relationship. That's against God's laws. That's what I'm talking about. And people have tried to use this verse to justify their own perversions. And that's wrong. And I think everybody understands that. Okay. But the uniqueness and the specialness that you have between yourselves within the framework of God's laws of morality, it's an honorable thing. Okay. Um, God's design for marriage is honor and purity. And this, of course, verse is emphasizing exclusivity with your spouse. It's a call to fidelity to your mate. All right, let, let me say this and we're, we're done. Um, there is limited abstinence in sex. We see in verse 5, Defraud ye not one the other, except to be with consent for a time that may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. Come together again that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. So, so again, the idea here, this real quick, is neither made is to deprive the other sexually except for under specific conditions. Mutual agreement, a spiritual motive, and for a limited time frame. The Bible speaks about that. Um, now again, I close. The church is called the pillar and the ground of the truth, and it should teach all of the truth. I think we agree with that. So doctrines of sex are every bit a part of the Bible as other truths are. So true sex education should be based on the truth of God's word, our beliefs about sex should begin and end with the scriptures. And again, some of these things that I've talked about, and I know I've talked about them in a, in a rushed type manner, but wouldn't it be wonderful? Some of you might be sitting here and go, well, preacher, we know all of that. Come on, man. We've been married for 20 years. I know all that. Yes, but here's the thing. We need to reinforce it so that we can teach our children these biblical principles as well. Because I cannot tell you, I'll close with this, I cannot tell you how many times I've had somebody come up to me and say, I sure wish I would have heard that when I was younger. I'm telling you, it's not just limited to this subject, but I'm just saying so many people have come up to me after preaching on marriage and family and childhood. I wish I would have heard that 20 years ago. I wish I would have heard that. Well, listen, you have a golden opportunity. You're raising kids in your home. Teach them these things now so that they will live by them and find the satisfaction that God intended for them to find. And then they can perpetuate it 
uh, to, previous, to, to the succeeding generations as well. So anyway, I appreciate it today. Uh, we'll move on to, to our final lesson, just talking about how we can reinforce our marriage moving forward. And I uh, appreciate it so much. I hope you have a wonderful uh, afternoon and uh, pray for the service to follow. You are dismissed.